0: That's quite the stunt you pulled on me today. Thought I'd turn the favor. Oops. Yes, I may. <laughs> How about you? Oh,
1: oh no! Task completed by your command.
2: So we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Divine interest. Oh God of oh God, we're all going to die.
0: Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. No. are Peace. Always. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, and now from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science movies and television
1: shows here are your hosts Welcome to the sci-fi diner podcast this is episode 82 miles 82 read it and we less than 20 episodes till we hit 100 I know I know I know I can't believe it's that close. My name is Scott Herzog and I'm one of your hosts here at the diner tonight. And hello, I am Miles P. McLaughlin. And we have the absolutely phenomenal show to bring to you. Thank you so much for bearing with us, being off last week. It was all my fault, all my fault, Miles, that we weren't here last week. Yeah, Scott wasn't looking too good. No, I was not looking or sounding too good. I mean, Mm -hmm. you do not want me serving food in the condition I was in. Do you want your cook,
0: who has a bad cold or whatever, making your food? A fever
1: 102, coughing. You know, phlegm, mucus, yeah, whatever. You do, you do not want me serving at the diner when that happens. That's all I can say. Absolutely, is it's just not. And, uh, the metaphor ends there. But, we,
0: don't, we don't know if it's contagious over cyberspace or not. But we're not taking any chances. No, no, we 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 respect your health, and we mm-hmm. want to
1: keep you as healthy as possible. So when we're sick, we promise you we won't bring the show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in with us tonight. We have an excellent menu on, t- on tap. Let me tell you, this is a packed menu, partially because we were gone for a week and partially because so much dang stuff happened.
0: A lot happened week. A lot happened on yeah. this
1: week, and so we want to bring that to you and mm-hmm. cover some of the news over the past two weeks. I, the menu tonight, Miles. We are bringing people an interview with John Moreau from the patio book, M- Enemy Lines. Uh, phenomenal man, a phenomenal story. If you haven't had a chance to check out this uh, patio book, you want to make sure you download it. We are going to wrap up our Smallville and Stargate trivia and give you the winner for that trivia question and give you a new trivia question off of Caprica. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be good stuff, Miles. Good mm-hmm. stuff and Very a great good. great prize to give away. Oh, I can't wait to tell you about this. This is an awesome prize. Mm-hmm. Awesome prize. Caprica gets boxed, and we're going to talk about maybe why did Caprica fail. Uh, we find out a little bit more about The Cape. This show we've been waiting for from Summer Glau. Uh, has a, not it doesn't have a release date yet, but we know it's mid-season. It's coming up probably in January sometime. Uh, Nimoy says, to heck with retirement. Norton and her Family gets extended, an extended season and a ratings bump. Walking Dead is the biggest AMC premiere ever, and we're going to tell you about that. Red makes a grade. Reese, an online series, just debuted this past week, and it has gotten phenomenal r- rave reviews as far as I've heard. Uh, v gets trimmed, which doesn't excite us too much. Cameron commits to Avatar 2 and 3. Batman 3 gets a title. Hobbit gets a cast. Superman Batman Apocalypse gets a review. Miles, your fault. Hmm. And the parallel universe just might be possible. For fringe science, may not be so fringe. Leviathan Chronicles, we have a a little bit of news in that. Miles brings you his twist, and John Moreau brings us the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and it is a jam-packed menu. We're going to be stuffed if we get through this all. Yeah, we're going to be full. (laughs) Uh, We definitely will. We're going to try and get through it in as timely of a manner as possible. Well, Miles, why don't you take us into, I guess, two weeks ago, we gave you this trivia question, and we want to give you the question... The prize and
0: who won this prize. So go ahead. All right, we asked uh, last time. What commonality does Michael Shank's character on SG One and Smallville have? And the answer is. Egyptian archaeology. Yes, cuz they were both into
1: that. Mm-hmm. Both of the characters were. And who won this prize?
0: Uh, our friend uh, Radu, who we see often on, the, on our Facebook fan page, uh, contributing to the discussion and, and he and he won. And what did he win? He wins a very nice book, uh, Gr- a grand Hancock's uh, entangled who we interviewed uh, a couple two, weeks ago. Yeah, 2 weeks ago when mm-hmm. we uh, we aired this episode and if you haven't had a chance to listen
1: to that episode, listen to that interview. Fascinating man to listen to. He's
0: that. a very interesting guy and uh, Probably a close thing you know to a modern-day uh, Indiana Jones and uh, Walter Bishop you're ever going to meet. Oh, absolutely. And let me tell you, if you haven't picked up
1: this book and you're interested in finding out a little bit more about it, you can go to his website and you can actually read the first four chapters of this book for free um, and then decide if you want to buy it. And it's a pretty compelling book. So mm-hmm. well worth checking out. And Radu, will be uh, getting this prize to you. And uh, – Congratulations! I mean, yep, yeah, congratulations! And uh, this is unprecedented. We typically don't t- do another new trivia right away, but we're a little bit pressed for time as the holidays are coming up, and we mm-hmm. have some prizes we just gotta give to you guys. And so, before we give you the prize, let's give them the new trivia for,
0: uh, I guess, the next two weeks. We'll give them two weeks for this trivia. Okay. Well, since since Caprica has been in the news, uh, we want and we'll be saying goodbye to it soon. We want to, you know. Ask a trivia question for Caprica. So in this week, we, we're we going to ask you, in Caprica, Daniel Greystone says that the term Cylon is an acronym for what? Yes, and that is a absolutely great question to have. And Miles, do you know what they win? They win a $100 gift card from Think Geek.
1: Ooh, that is
0: an awesome prize.
1: One hundred dollar gift card from Think Geek. Mm-hmm. Courtesy of our friends at Think Geek. Thanks, Raj, for, for kind of helping set us up with that. Mm-hmm. But what a phenomenal, phenomenal prize to win.
0: And Think Geek has some really cool stuff on there and uh you know, if if, if you know if if you're a sci fi fan, you're going to love what's on there.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you're a Battlestar fan, Caprica fan. Hey, I would just look this up to get that $100 gift certificate if I were mm-hmm. you. But um, you can, of course, uh, send the answers to the trivia again. You want to repeat that trivia question one more time, Miles? Sure.
0: Um, in, in, in Caprica, Daniel Greystone says the term Cylon is an acronym for what? Yeah.
1: And you can uh, send the answers to the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can Twitter us at the sci-fi diner, and that will also uh, get that information to us. And I guess you can call into our listener line at one 508 4343 And all those are ways to get us the answer. By the way, if you're not in the U S and you want to send us an audio file, you can always do that via MP3 and just send it to us through our email at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. Well, miles. That's an awesome trivia. I wish I could be playing this week. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll pretend to be someone else and email into the show. That wouldn't be ethical. We'll but, find uh, out, Scott. We yes, have ways. You have ways. Mm-hmm. We have all ways. Alright, well let's go into our first promo for tonight. We're going to be playing a promo from the Gatecast podcast. These guys are also active on our Facebook fan page. I think uh, Mike C from England is also a part of that. He comments in on on our on some of our discussions on facebook so this is for you mike gatecast podcast if you're interested in finding out stuff about stargate sg1 they're reviewing all the past episodes phenomenal show check it out this is the gatecast podcast hi i'm alan and i'm mike do you like stargate sg1 did you think it was all over
2: we didn't and so the gatecast was born We are two guys with far too much time on our hands and are exploring the stories of Stargate Command, episode by episode,
1: with commentary about our favourite SG team's adventures.
2: You mean the girly kick-ass team from Atlantis?
1: No. We're talking about Jack O'Neill, Sam Carter, Daniel Jackson and Teok, who make up SG-1 along with Dr. Frazier, Walter and General Hammond,
2: who lead the human race towards new worlds,
1: where people have certainly been before and some a long, long time ago.
2: Each week a new episode will be discussed along with news and listener comments.
1: So search for Gatecast on iTunes or use your chosen podcatcher.
2: Or visit us at gatecast.facecast.com or our Facebook page.
1: And join in the fun. We guarantee all comments will be read out.
2: Gatecast. By fans, for fans.
1: sci-fi diner podcast miles we have a crap load of news to get through. that's just it a lot of good stuff has happened a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that maybe we aren't so happy about has happened we're going to be taking you through tv news movie news we have dvd review and mm-hmm. we have other news as well to bring you and not to mention our twist tonight yes all within about five minutes Five minutes? (laughs) Yeah, just kidding. No, we won't make it through in five minutes. But we'll try and make it through as quick as we can, and Mm -hmm. and uh, and cover it all. So why don't you take away this first bit of news, and this bit of news kind of saddens our heart. And if you've been in the Twitterverse and Facebook, you of course know this already. But
0: uh, what bring us this news? Well, many of you listeners already know this. Uh, Sci-Fi boxes Caprica. Uh, Sci-Fi has canceled the once-promising Battlestar Galactica prequel series Capra, according to uh, uh, EW.com's Michael uh, Aucilio, the series which was built as a family drama... (laughs) set in the Galactica, Galactica universe, never grabbed the ratings of its predecessor. The remaining first-run episodes of Caprica airing Tuesdays at uh, uh, 10, 9 Central will be re- removed from the schedule as of next Tuesday, November 2nd, so the network is today today. Yeah. These uh, final five episodes of the season will be rescheduled to air at, at a... Announced time in the first quarter of 2011 and conclude the run of the series. We, we appreciate all the support the fans have shown for Capricorn, and we are very proud of the producers, cast, writers, and the rest of the amazing team that committed to this uh, fine series, said Mark Stern, Executive Vice President of Virgil Program. Uh, sci-fi and co-head of content for Universal uh, Cable Productions. Unfortunately, despite its obvious quality, Capricorn has not been able to build the audience necessary to justify a second season. Previously, the network had st- stated that they would make a decision whether or not they were going to pick up the series for a second season by November 15th. And they obviously did it. No. Yeah, I I like the the way they used the Final Five
1: air yeah the kind of, final five <laughs> it's kind of anonymous uh, foreshadowing of the uh, Star Galactica and the final five Cylons mm-hmm. you know this is and then sci-fi gave a little bit more of an immediate response and this came on Twitter it said we appreciate all the support the fans have shown for Caprica and are very proud of the producers cast writers and the rest of the amazing team that has been committed to this fine series unfortunately despite its obvious quality Caprica has not been able to build the audience necessary to justify a second season this is kind of a repeat, repeat of some of what you said and the remaining first one episodes of Caprica will be removed from the Schedules the next Tuesday, November 2nd. The final five will be rescheduled to air as announced in the first quarter of 2011. So we'll have it coming up soon. My question, as we discussed, I think, on our listener feedback episode is, why not just finish out the series now? Is wrestling mm-hmm. really that important?
0: For the sci-fi channel, yeah.
1: <laughs> I know. Um, I don't know. I, it just feels like a long I, – I feel like if I were sci-fi, Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm not. Maybe sci-fi isn't the one calling the shots here. So let's back up and say, I mean, they're <laughs> run by Universal Cable or whatever it is. Sure. Um, but if I were sci-fi and I have at least some audience now, I would just finish the episodes, release the DVDs in December, right before Christmas, so I can get some Christmas sales off of it, and then say goodbye to it.
0: Well, I think they did something similar with Dollhouse this past year. Uh, they they basically aired. The last few episodes, but they just aired like two episodes at once, almost like just kind of getting it done and over with, so to speak. But then they did end up airing it mm-hmm. um, in January. Then I
1: think some did air in January as well, so they finished it up then in January. But they did kind of uh, speed up the delivery of it. In December, sure. Remember the double episodes coming in January, and they could easily do that for Caprica if they wanted.
0: It's, it seems yeah. like a strange decision. Well, uh, Hitflix uh, on
1: uh, a blog and Hitflix. Uh, kind of analyzed what went wrong with Caprica, and I thought they had a pretty decent list here, and I thought we'd split it up by different reasons, Miles. So, Miles, why don't you go ahead and read the first uh, thing that he said possibly went wrong with Caprica, why Caprica failed, and, um, and then we can kind
0: of talk about each sure. one as it comes up here. Uh, the rollout schedule was odd. The Caprica pilot was released as a standalone DVD in April 2009, only a few weeks after BSG ended. But the series proper didn't launch on Sci-Fi until uh, January 2010. Ten episodes aired in winter and early spring, and then the show wasn't, wasn't scheduled to come back until January of uh, 2011. Somewhat sci-fi realized that perhaps the the weights were getting too extreme even by cable standards, and in September, the return was moved up to early October, which gave Capricorn the benefit of good time slot after Stargate Universe, but the detriment of a little advanced promotion. Uh, these long irregular gaps in the schedule certainly didn't help the show uh, gain uh, traction, but I don't think it was a major factor. How major of a factor do you think this was, Miles? Um, I, don't, I All, all I know for me was… When it came back on, I started watching it again. I, I, so, it's hard to say. I, I do think there is a point. I mean, these irregular, you know, the, these irregular gaps are a detriment to a show. I mean, um, depend depend on the person. You know, if if the show is uh, on for a little while and then off for a long hiatus, you know, so forget it. So, people just say forget and they'll move on to something else. Probably not for the hardcore watcher, in my opinion,
1: but for the more casual watchers, is oh, maybe I'll tune into Caprica this week and it doesn't come on for a while. They lose interest, move on to something else. But for the diehards, you aren't going to lose us. But Mm -hmm. I think it is the peripheral people that we're talking about here that maybe it's impacting a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. They shot themselves in the foot by doing that.
1: Yeah, another reason that HitFlix uh, gave was BSG fans were bitter about the show's finale, which there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, a reaction to the lost finale was, a mild compare, was mild compared to some of the vitriol aimed at Rod, Ron D. Moore and other BSG producers, many of whom moved on to work in Caprica, after a finale that was heavily. That was heavy on spirituality and light and concrete explanations to the various pieces of the show's mythology. As with the lost finale, not all fans hated it, maybe not even most of them, but the BSG audience was so small to begin with that even to say if a third of the viewers were bitterly swore off the franchise, Capricorn was already starting in a hole that may have been too deep to climb out of. And, um, and it, so I don't know. What do you think of that?
0: So, so the guy thinks that because of, of the BSG's finale, finale they alienated a lot of their own viewers and the viewers just gave up on them and so they didn't come along when Caprica came on I, I was not happy with the finale either in some places um, so I, I could I can see that reasoning see I love the finale it did, it did affect me but you know
1: it wasn't enough for me to keep me away from asylum backstory oh I'm, no I'm not, I'm not
0: not enough to keep me away right well me, me too I mean and and with with the BSG finale it was mainly the You know, maybe the last ten minutes of it is probably I didn't care for.
1: And and, if you stuck with Battlestar Galactica for the four years that you stuck through Mm -hmm. that series, it's hard to believe that just the finale alone
0: would be enough to drive you off. That it, it, you know, I I guess people,
1: I guess people are that finicky, but I'm
0: not. I'm not either because I mean, I just remember the rest, the, the other four years was good, and the first half of the finale was was excellent. That whole battle scene, so. The last 15 minutes isn't enough to, to me say, okay, I hate the show. Or, you know. I hate you, know I'm never going to watch it. I think about you again. Yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, um, well – Give us the next one here. Uh, Sci-fi fans don't necessarily want to watch soap opera. Moore's initial pitch for the show was it's a sci-fi version of Dallas, and while the finished product moved quite a bit off of uh, that, there were still plenty of elements of marital discord, corporate intrigue, and teen angst rebellion that may not have played well to viewers who don't like so much to overlap between their uh, genres. The mix also included a whole lot of theology, which is essential to the origin of BSG Universe. But based on the reaction the BSG finale, not everyone's favorite subject. Of course, BSG did plenty of the genre cross <clears throat> pollinations. It was as much as a political drama, as a hardcore sci fi drama. But it, but it always had the suit spaceships and kill robots, the same genre staples. Sci fi execs said they would want to, to move away from to make the purists feel comfortable. Caprica had a killer robot, but it was but it was one with the mind of it and soul of a teenage girl. For some, that's icky.
1: Yeah, I don't know. He might have a point here.
0: Yeah, I I, I think. The, Caprica is kind of a weird show. I mean it is a sci-fi show, but it, most of it is – takes place on planet. And I think when people think of sci-fi, they, they want to see their spaceships and uh, maybe space battles. And uh, this this was – this def, definitely had more of a soap opera type feel to it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would see. And, and in certain episodes maybe more so than others. and mm-hmm. uh and maybe that, maybe that, maybe this, this certainly was maybe a
0: contribution to gaining the
1: audience. Maybe,
0: mm-hmm. but I did think that the, things really picked up. I mean, the story felt like it was really moving on when the season picked up again.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right I'm right there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I guess on the flip side of that, soap opera fans don't necessarily want to watch sci-fi. And here, perhaps, with a bigger miscalculation. Sci-fi envisioned Caprica as a show with a broader audience base than BSG. They saw the spaceships and other hardware as a turnoff to viewers who might have enjoyed the political allegory or character drama. But the planet-bound incarnation of Bowser Galactic isn't enough of a break from that sort of... Uh, for that sort of hypothetical viewer. If you're not going to watch sci-fi, you're not going to watch sci-fi. It's not a matter of degree or number of shots of the vacuum, of space. Some viewers just don't watch shows with certain subjects.
0: Yeah. It may have been maybe too ahead of its time, bring trying to mix the genres together. I mean, I liked it. I mean, um, you know, it was, it was different, but, um, but I did want to see the whole origin of the Cylons and the Cylon war and everything. And, you know, I, I I liked uh, Ron Moore's – no, I mean not kind of. I really did like Ron Moore's, his more character-based, character-driven show with with, with BSG. I mean uh, of course I like the spaceships and the space battles and stuff, but I did enjoy watching the characters and seeing them develop and and change and grow and – all that kind of stuff all, all behind. So I was still long for the ride when Capricorn came on.
1: I mean, and, you know, the the topics he explored, theology, religion, uh, issues of the internet, like with the hollow bands and all mm-hmm. that, these are real issues. These are the same type of issues they explored in Battlestar. Sure. You know, uh, the only thing is you were limited on a spaceship instead of a city. You didn't have a city to explore and mm-hmm. to exploit. And so that was a difference. But I, that didn't bother
0: me necessarily. But it may be just with sci-fi even with star trek D space 9 it was mostly all on a station and then after 3 seasons they got a space they got their own starship um, to you know leave the station and do other things and stuff and for some viewers it's you know they can't make that leap just staying planet bound or space station bound and just watch what's going on there it's uh I, you know i don't i don't want to you know say it's a limitation of some some people, it's just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a very subjective, it's a question of taste, I mean, which, oh, you, yeah. which you like. Yeah, yeah, and taste kind of runs it. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll go ahead and read the last one that he points out. Okay. This is not my opinion, this is what this blogger's opinion was. Right, right. <laughs> so, no, no, Miles let me, just
1: wants to clarify. Let me put that <laughs> caveat.
0: Um, it, it wasn't very good, this really is what it comes down to. CapCred didn't get off of a great start in the ratings earlier this year, owing to previous reasons, but... It, it, but it had held that number or increased a bit over time. Sci-fi would have given it a longer leash, but many viewers who came into Capco without prejudices about the genre or the BSG ending still didn't like what they saw. It was a series with some interesting individual pieces that never, uh, cohered into a whole, the most compelling or sympathetic character was Zoe Greystone, uh, played by Alexandra, uh, Torsani, And she was a uh, aforementioned teenage girl's, uh, soul stuck inside killer robot. The writers uh, kept losing the thread of a Obstensible leads, uh, Daniel Greystone, played by Eric Stoltz, and Joseph Adama, played by Esai Morales, and had even less idea what what to do with Greystone's wife, uh, uh, Amanda, played by Paula Malcolmson, or a bumbling schemer, uh, Sister Clarice, played by Polly Walker. Right uh, And then he goes on to say The show returned from hiatus Trying to reshape
1: its various problematic characters Clarice was much less than that Joseph stopped whining and Embracing his family's gangster roots But there was still the lack of clear storytelling direction I kept having to convince myself to watch the episodes That were sitting on my DVR uh, we were talking about that in the listener episode about how that's a bad sign <laughs> when mm-hmm. you try to do that. And it won't be necessary now in broad strokes, we know the story of Caprica ends. The killer robots multiply and wipe out most of humanity while Adama's delinquent son Willie grows up to be the leader of, the, of a few thousand survivors. But that's decades in the future for those characters. Their specific stories won't get to finish. Sci-Fi is going to retreat in safer territory for another prequel. Battlestar Galactica Blood and Chrome about Bill Adama's early military career and featuring all the spaceships and other elements of sci-fi was so afraid a couple of years ago. So we do have some more Battlestar coming on I guess eventually.
0: But that's going to be a web-based series though. Yes, yes. And uh, you have to let me know, are you following that at all? It uh, to the best of my knowledge it's out. It is out? Is it? I don't It's uh, to the best of my knowledge it ha- I haven't it's not even out yet.
1: Okay, so we'll bring you news of that when it is out. Mm-hmm. Um, one other comment about this, and you know, again, we agree in part with what this guy is saying and understand some of what he's saying. Uh, you know, Frage, who we've had on the show before, said, "Am I sad Caprica was canceled? No, I never thought that a so-called real characters making consistently bad decisions was compelling drama. <laughs> so that was his take on it. And again, this does it fit sci-fi, maybe a little bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, all I can say is, you know what, I like the show. Yes. Um,
1: yep. Yeah, and there was enough of it. And knowing that it plays into the uh, Battlestar history it mm-hmm. was enough for me. Sure. And seeing how the Cylons developed or how they tried to develop was important.
0: I think some criticism is a little valid. I mean, the first season, I think they were trying to figure out, you know, I mean, yes, it is about characters making some bad decisions uh, or, or seem like aimless decisions, but it just seems that. Uh, TV today, unless you, your first season really grabs the audience, you don't have a chance. I mean, right. it's and you have to grab it out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, let's let's face it. If Star Trek: Next Generation, the first season, air say say it didn't air back in the late eighties, it aired now. Oh, it'd have been killed. It would not have gotten a second season. The X Files
1: the same way. Mm-hmm. X Files the same way. The, the, it would have killed it.
0: Right. It, 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 it it's either a lack of patience from the viewers or the. Uh, or the networks. Maybe it's the networks that just you know they're not get, they will not give a show a time to grab an audience. Um, and this is a totally off genre thing. But even if you like Seinfeld, which I love Seinfeld, the first season or two of Seinfeld wasn't that funny. But it, it, but but it, it 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 developed its niche. It, it, you know, it, it got its legs, and it's one of the most successful comedies of all time. It just yeah. it, just the thing with TV now. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: let's move on to our next story. And this is a story from the – this is from the Cape, who we haven't talked about in a lot lately because it hasn't been a fall show. But this is coming up, I believe, a mid-season show. And we got some information about some of the hero and the villains. NBC's mid-season arrival of the superhero drama. The Cape should be getting a premiere date soon, and we'll bring you that when it comes. But now we are our first look at the show's hero and two of the baddies in these hauntingly intriguing new portraits. All the pictures in the show notes. The first portrait of the, is of the Cape himself, played by David Lyons. He will not assume the mask until the second episode. So he's masculine the so first. Below is Vinny Jones, Wanted Dead, X-Men, Last Dan, as a reptilian criminal, Dominic Raoul a la Scales. And lastly is James Fran from Transit and True Blood, who plays a Capes nemesis, a billionaire who moonlights as a killer, Peter Fleming, a.k.a. Chess. And a synopsis for the show again, just in case you've forgotten. The Cape is a one-hour drama set starring David Lyons from ER as Vince Faraday, an honest cop in a corrupt police force who finds himself framed for a series of murders and presumed dead. He's forced into hiding, leaving behind his wife and Dana, uh, Jennifer Farron from Life on Mars, and son, Trip Ryan, why not from Flash Forward? wonder if he's a young kid from Flash Forward. Might be. Um, Fueled by a desire to reunite with his family in a battle to criminal forces that have overtaken Palm City, Faraday becomes the Cape, his son's favorite comic book hero, and takes the law into his own hands, rounding out the cast of James Fran from Tudors as billionaire Peter Fleming, the Cape's nemesis, who moonlights as a twisted killer, Chess, uh, Keith David, death of a funeral as Max uh, Malini, a ringleader of a circus of gang of bank robbers who mentors Vince Faraday and trains him to be the Cape, Summer Glau, uh from Terminator Sutter Comic Chronicles as Orwell, an investigative blogger who wages war on crime and corruption in Palm City, and Dorian Missick, six degrees as Marty Voigt, a former police detective, and a friend at Faraday. So we just want to see the portrait of Summerglow, that's it
0: well yeah of course. Yeah, that's,
1: that, that's 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 a real reason to watch his show.
0: That, yeah that yeah <laughs> the only the only reason to watch anyway, his show.
1: Anyway, <laughs> yeah so the Cape probably coming out in January or February is our guess. Uh this next piece of news, I'm really getting
0: chills at. Oh, this makes me happy too. Go ahead, Miles. And not a huge. To me, this is not a huge surprise. Um, uh, Nimoy to return to Fringe, according to TrekMovie.com. Leonard Nimoy isn't quite retired yet. At last week's official Star Trek convention, in Rosemont, Illinois, actor Christopher Lloyd revealed that Nimoy will be returning to Fringe, filming. Um, Lloyd had answered questions about how it was to work with Nimoy, expressing his admiration for the actor. He then said that he would soon be filming an episode of Fringe um, and, and that Nimoy will be also appearing in the same episode reprising his role as William Bell. The episode of Fringe, which both are expected to appear, will be the 10th episode of the season and is expected air early next year. Ooh, ooh, so Christopher ooh. Lloyd's going to be in uh, Fringe also. I know. Isn't that exciting? So uh, he, he's a great actor too. Isn't
1: he, he's the guy from uh, Back to the Future, right?
0: He, yes, he's a uh, – The
1: um, 25th anniversary of that sucker. Can you believe that? 25 years ago.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's old. <laughs> that does.
1: <laughs> Quick, someone buy me a DeLorean. I'm yeah. turning 40 this year. <laughs> <laughs> I need that. Oh, man. Uh, that's exciting news! Exciting news! Reese, the award-winning steampunk web series, debuts online last week with sci-fi star-studded cast. In another well-calculated step in expanding sci-fi's original content, the network will relaunch a Steamy. Streamy, steamy. It's not (laughs) Stevie. The Streamy award-winning web series Reese King falling on sci-fi.com beginning today. The series features sci-fi stars from Stargate Atlantis, Sanctuary, Battlestar Galactica, and the narration by Sanctuary's Amanda Tapping. There are 10 installments to the series. third one just dropped today. It's Tuesday, November 2nd, so there's a lot more to look forward. Running about seven to eight minutes each, which will be released every Tuesday and Thursday beginning today. Uh, Here's a little bit of the write-up for it. Um, sci-fi.com premiering Reese, narrated by sanctuary, Amanda tapping stars, Christine chat chatlin. I'm trying to pronounce it from sanctuary. Uh, Ryan Robbins from Caprica, uh, Sharon Taylor from Stargate universe, Ben Cotton from Harper's Island, Alessandro Giuliani from Battlestar Galactica and Smallville and Alison Mack from Smallville. So they're all in that. So a pretty star studied cast for a web series, don't you think? Yeah,
0: I, I haven't seen Reese yet, but I'm going to definitely check yeah, it out. You got to check it out. Um,
1: so it was just, it's, it's an excellent. I did watch the first two episodes, didn't get a chance to watch the third one today, but it's very well done. Mm-hmm. And probably the first steampunk series I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen, I mean, I've seen elements of steampunk in different shows, but this is one is like totally steampunk. Right. And so, you know, the steampunk uh, sci fi people are going to be out in throws at the conventions now.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Even
1: more so, mm-hmm. even more so than they already are. Uh, well, bring us some news about No Ordinary Family. You're still watching the show, aren't you? I
0: still am, and I'm still enjoying it. Yeah, so, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, No Ordinary Family, ABC orders more more scripts, uh, performs Time Warp. ABC has ordered uh, four more scripts <coughs> for its new series, uh, uh, No Ordinary Family, about a family who gained superpower, superhero powers after an accident that occurred while on vacation. The network also shifted the show's time slot to Tuesday at uh, 9, 8 Central, instead of its normal uh, H7, between uh, November 30th through December 14th to make room for holiday specials to air. No Ordinary, no ordinary Family will take a regular time, all, time slot back on January 4th, 2011, where it will lead into the return of the Alien Invasion reboot V. Ooh. Uh, so, uh, Yeah, and then uh,
1: then the second is a part of this news mm-hmm. story that came out um that I figured it fits in, and you can read that as well.
0: Uh, no Ordinary Family starts to stabilize. The audience free fall for No Ordinary Family is over for now. The ABC series picked up a 4.67 uh, uh, s- share uh, in the fast national overnight ratings from the Nielsen Company this past Tuesday, slightly better than its previous week and helping it to earn an uh, average of 4.67 uh, over the past three weeks. But this week's numbers for Ordinary Family reversed a trend of audience erosion that has been ongoing since the beginning of the season. Even with the uptick, Family is still a twenty-seven percent from its season premiere, September twenty-eighth, and rarely ten percent lower than its average this season. Uh, it's it's five uh, one-eighth uh, average. Also, is is down more than five percent a time slot from the year before, which will could spell trouble for the series down the road. ABC's uh, other new uh, Tuesday show, Detroit um, uh, one-eight-seven, reversed its ratings fall last. Week and is now averaging uh five uh, seven ten some thirty six percent better than uh, what ABC did in Tuesday ten p.m. time slot last year. Smallville continues to show signs of life despite the CW already announcing its show's final season. It, it matched its season high once again with a, uh, a one point uh, seven three matching audience, uh, c- comparing Smallville's first six e- episode this year with the l- last year. Smallville's uh, one point six three average. Uh, matches what it was doing last year, which helped the CW decide to renew it yet another season. This won't happen this time around uh, with the end of the already is in sight. But Smallville needs to find a way to give a boost to Supernatural, which uh, after a season of being apart, returns to the series lead-in. However, uh, Supernatural has not been as strong on Friday night. It earned a uh, one point uh, four three Friday, bringing uh, an average of a. Uh, one point five three. It lost eighteen percent of its Smallville lead in, and it's twelve percent off its average from Thursday's last uh, year. Right. And you know they go in. They then go into in
1: the article talk about the uh, the top genre shows for last week. And now Fringe was not airing then, which I believe is the top genre show. Right. But No Ordinary Family actually comes out on top. Um, and this is by audience loyalty index rating. I don't know how they figure this stuff out, by the way. Mm-hmm. But um, "No Ordinary Family," then under that, the event, and then Chuck's under that, and then Vampire Diaries, Smallville, and Supernatural. So CW, CW is kind of wiping up the bottom there, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Anything there surprise you?
0: No, not really. Uh, I mean, it's but it looks like No Ordinary Family is still doing well for for ABC right now. And that's important. Right. That's the important thing here that
1: we have it doing well and we like we're liking the show yet. It's still engaging us. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it feel like we were talking earlier on about this being a hero's replacement. Does this feel really like a hero's replacement or something different?
0: I, I think it feels like something different. I mean there there are, there are similarities, of course. But I mean, they're learning to use their powers mm-hmm. and control them and when to use them and not to use them. But it's also just a family trying to find itself too. It's uh um, for the most part, it's very family friendly. I mean, so it's something you can watch with your older kids, which uh, which is good. And um, but still, you know, it's not. I don't want to say, for lack of a better word, you know, dumbed down. So it's it's not interesting. You have some you know dark character bad guys, uh, which is which is cool. And um, so, no, it, to me, it has a, t- a different vibe than Heroes did. Right,
1: right. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Walking Dead um, premiered. To a phenomenal response for Tom, Bear McCreary, who writes music for it and wrote the music for Battlestar, Caprica, and Human Target, which premieres this week, by the way, uh, or comes back this week, by the way, November 4th. Uh, Bear McCreary said, okay, so apparently we had a 8.3 million viewers if you count the 11:30 and 1 a.m. airings. Neato. So a great response. And this is actually the the actual response here, um, the actual write-up that came across the wire. On Halloween night, 5.3 million viewers tuned into the series premiere of AMC's The Walking Dead, setting a ratings record for the network. This also makes The Walking Dead this year's most-watched cable series. Uh, 5.3 million, 3.6 million accounted for the sought-after the 18, four, 18 to 49 years Year old adult demographic. AMC President uh, Charlie Collier commented on the strong ratings. It's a good day to be dead. We're so proud of this series. It's depth of storytelling, it's remarkable talent attached. As a network de- dedicated to bringing the viewers the best stories in television, we are pleased to have the opportunity with The Walking Dead to raise the bar with this popular genre and continue our commitment to bringing home the premium television to basic cable. Did you enjoy AMC Walking Dead premiere? The series is off to a delicious start. It'll uh, come back on next Sunday at 10 p.m. There are five more hour-long episodes this first season. So it was pretty good. I was watching just a bit of it before you came, Miles, and mm-hmm. it was it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it.
0: Yeah, I'm, so. I have not seen it yet, but I'm going to make sure I watch and catch up. So
1: anyways, that's Walking Dead. Um, it, just one other side bit of news. I found out that Red... The Werewolf Hunter, which you didn't watch, but and we aren't going to really talk about in the show, except to say it had 2.6 million viewers. And I'm not sure if they included DVR numbers, Mm -hmm. but that seems like an excellent number of viewers to have on a Saturday night.
0: Oh yeah, and, and
1: on the Sci Fi Channel. Yeah, nonetheless, which doesn't have a very good reputation for that. Mm-hmm. Um, just a brief bit of news here on the Doctor Who Christmas special will be fast-tracked worldwide. The upcoming Christmas episode for the Doctor Who will be shown in the UK on Christmas Day and is expected to be fast-tracked for other markets around the world. Australia will air the episode a few days, a few days later on Boxing Day. And while the deal hasn't been finalized for airing in the United States and Canada, it is expected to be shown quickly here as well. In a related story, actor Mark Shepard, best known for his work in Firefly and Battlestar Galactica will have a guest role in the upcoming 6th series. Who was Mark Shepard in Firefly?
0: He was Badger.
1: Oh, Badger. Badger. We love Badger. And, he was,
0: and, and uh, one of the uh, regents on uh, Warehouse 13.
1: Oh, yes, he was. He mm-hmm. was. We forgot about that. And, of course, Battlestar Galactica, he's uh, he's the uh, attorney.
0: Uh, yep. Uh, Romo Lampkin.
1: Yeah, Romo
0: Lampkin. All right, let's move into some V news. Okay, um... There's a little article in the the latest uh, TV guide about uh, Jane Battler's appearance, but uh, so I encourage you to check that out. But uh, ABC has uh, cut their 13-episode order of V by three episodes, making season two a 10-episode run. The the sci-fi remake of the 80s classic was lucky to have survived last season, having plunged from a premiere high of 14.3 million viewers to around 5 million in its Tuesday night slot. V has already been pushed back from an anticipated November return to January 4th, uh, 2011, where it'll have a superhero drama, No Ordinary Family as a lead-in. The show's writers will adapt the later half of that season to ensure that the storyline is told without those additional hours. This, is, this isn't a promising sign for a show that's already struggling for survival, but I still hope if the ratings improve once new episodes begin to air in the new year. There should be renewed interest for fans of the original because uh, Jane Badler, who played uh, antagonist uh, Diana in the 80s series, is due to return as the mother of uh, Morena uh character Anna. However, while as a fun piece of stunt casting, V will have to prove it has a compelling narrative and characters if it's going to draw everyone back through a word of mouth. Uh, before it's too late
1: Yeah, and I wonder with this huge time break in between It's not going to be too late anyways But I know, it's I, 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 I like I, the show, I like the show I'm not badgering the show but mm-hmm. the, yeah. the delay doesn't help at all It does not In movie news, James Cameron's makes it official Avatar 2 and 3 are go We're not going to give you too much of this news Except to say that it is go And he's returning to Pandora And that was like a no-brainer, Miles Come on, you make $2 <laughs> billion on a movie You aren't going to put down the sequel, that's for sure Of course Uh, Basically, he's looking at releasing them in 2014 to 2015, and after he's done writing, he'll decide whether to shoot avatars back-to-back. He's not sure. And as for the content in the sequels, the second and third films, which will be self-contained stories that also fulfill a greater historic arc, we will, not be, we will not back off the throttle of Avatar's visual and emotional horsepower and will continue to explore the themes and characters which touch the hearts of the audience and cultures around the world. I'm looking forward to returning to Pandora, uh, a world where our imaginations can run wild. So... That's about it for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us some Batman
0: news. Well, Batman 3 gets a title, uh, nixes 3D, and rules out the expected uh, villain. Uh, director Christopher Nolan has revealed the title of a high, his highly anticipated sequel to The Dark Knight and knocked the odds-on favorite uh, Bat villain out of the running. The Dark Knight um, Rises, as Batman 3 will now be called, won't see the cape Crusader facing against uh, Edward Nygma, Better known as the Riddler, nor will he don the the bat thermals to take down Mister Freeze, ever elusive. All, all Nolan would say, we'll use many of the same characters as we have all along, and we'll be introducing some new ones. If the dark title, if the title of the Dark Knight was, as Nolan has said, about the. Uh, Harvey Dent, as much as it was Bruce Wayne, made the new title as a hint uh, toward the resurrection of Two Face. Nolan won't be shooting The Dark Knight Th- Rises in 3D. He's convinced Warner Brothers that his current plan of using high def and IMAX uh, cameras is the prudent course for the uh, 2012 release. At least uh, one A list director isn't drinking uh, the uh, 3D uh, punch.
1: Thank God. I can't imagine Batman being done in 3D. No. I mean, I, they, they could do it, I guess, but. It,
0: it could be done, but why? I mean. Yeah. Uh, it was very impressive um, when my wife and I saw it in IMAX uh, um, last time around.
1: Yeah, and we thought we thought the Riddler might be in as one of the villains, but that's obviously not. I guess not. So yeah, I'm not. curious. Yeah. Well, news on Hobbit casting. We like our little Hobbit news that we bring you every week. Mm-hmm. Um, the Hobbit is moving out of New Zealand to Australia or to London, or maybe it isn't moving after all. We don't know, and we're not sure that Peter Jackson knows either. But one thing Jackson does know, and now we know, is who will be starring in the long-delayed movie. According to Deadline, the following roles have been officially filled. Martin Freeman is set to play Bilbo Baggin, the Avengers Hobbit, whose adventures and discovery in the One Ring leads the story of the Lord of the Rings. He, by the way, was also a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, Richard Armitage Ar- uh, from MI5 and Captain America and the First Avenger will play Thorin Oakenshield, leader of the Company of Dwarves who sets off to gl- reclaim the Lonely Mountain, uh, Idian Turner from Being Human and Rob Kaczynski, EastEnders, will play Killian and Philly members of the Company of Dwarves. Uh, Graham McTavish, Secretariat, will, will play Dwalin and John Callan, Power Rangers and Jungle Fury will play Odin. Stephen Hunter, will, All Saints, will play Bombeer and Mark Hadlow, King Kong, plays Dory. While Peter Hamilton, the Strip, plays G- uh, Glowin'. Um, James Nesbitt, uh, David Tennant, Stephen Fry, and Sorius Ronan and Bill Nye, Nye may also be cast, although nothing is definite yet. Actually, Nesbitt has indeed been nabbed in the role of dwell, as a dwarf, a beaufer who is disarmingly, forthright, and funnily, occasionally a brave dwarf. And, um, and so that he, he was confirmed, and also someone else was confirmed here. Who was it? Um, oh, uh, another newcomer, Adam Brown will play another dwarf called Ori, whom Jackson said is wonderfully expressive actor. Um, uh, however, Sir Ian McKellen has not been confirmed yet as Gandalf. There's no contract that's been signed, mm-hmm. and here's what Ian McKellen had to say about it: um, says he has not yet signed a contract to appear in the Hobbit films. I'm not under contract. No, I'm not going to say any more than that because it might complicate things. So I will say at the moment, no, I'm not under contract. What's his? I thought it was a done deal. Um, I thought it was. Uh,
0: that's that's news to me. I thought he was in.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it gets into the inks in the paper or the inks dry. It's not a done deal and uh, there's no ink in the paper yet. Hmm. I, I can't imagine a Hobbit without him. And I imagine it's probably them just working through some contract issues. And I hope that he
0: doesn't burn bridges or they don't. Bridges with him, yeah, yeah. I can't, I, I can't see anybody else playing Gandalf and uh, Ian yeah. McKellen.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, the only, the only other beating news in there is that Seventh
1: Doctor has been cast as Gandalf Wizard as Gandalf Wizard Pal in the Hobbit. Nothing's been signed yet, but seventh Dr. Sylvester McCoy has been offered the role of Gandalf's fellow wizard, uh, Radagast, the Brown, in Peter Jackson's The Hobbit. If David Tennant gets in, we'll have a regular Hoover's invasion of Middle earth McCoy confirmed his involvement to the fans at the, Arm- at the Armageddon Expo in Auckland, New Zealand. Radagast is only mentioned in The Hobbit. Gandalf refers to him as his cousin. So it's unclear how big McCoy's role will be in the film. Still, we hope that his incarnation as Radagast has at least a twinge of the Seventh Doctor's satirical, uh, satirical swagger. Hmm. So so that's it for Hobbit news, and that takes us out of our movie news. Um, but, hey, at least we got some casting news here. Yeah, at least this film
0: is finally moving forward.
1: Yeah, we get, the fact that they're casting means that they're fairly serious about it. Right. Well, why don't you give us our DVD review of Superman, Batman,
0: Apocalypse? Okay. Um, I guess about a month or so ago I, I had mentioned this. Um, and uh, that was coming out. I finally got a chance to – it finally came out uh, recently, and I watched it. Um, the premise is Batman discovers a mysterious teenage girl with superhuman powers and, and a connection to Superman. When the girl comes to the attention of Darkseid, the evil order overlord of Apocalypse, events take a, a decidedly dangerous turn. And uh, these were some of the um, – the, the cast voices: um, uh, Andre Brower, he, he voiced uh, Darkseid. Kevin Conroy voiced uh, Batman, um, and that's a very familiar voice you've heard in the animated series. Uh, Tim Daly, uh, Superman, same thing. He he voiced Superman in the animated series In Justice League. Um, uh, Summer Glau, the lovely Summer Glau, uh, she played uh, Kara, uh, Supergirl. Um, and so we had you know very strong voice talent. So this was my review. Uh, I did enjoy Superman: Batman Apocalypse. Um, However, I did enjoy uh, Batman Under the Red Hood uh, um, uh, better. Don't get me wrong; I like what I saw here. It was interesting, more naturalistic treatment of what would happen if Supergirl landed in Gotham City and having Batman being suspicious of her and Superman being there to defend probably his last living blood relative. Uh, The animation was excellent. The voice talents were great. Uh, I was excited to hear the the original voices uh, for Batman, Superman that we've come to know and love from the previous series. Also, there's a lot of uh, there's also there's there's always a soft spot for me for summer. And, uh, Andre Brown was great voice in the character of dark side. If you enjoy these standalone movies put out by uh, DC entertainment, then by all means, definitely rent it. Uh, you'll enjoy it. However, for me, Batman under the red hood, uh, set the bar really high in storytelling. This is how I'll rate this, this DVD using a star Wars reference, uh, Darth Vader being the highest and Jar Jar Binks being the lowest. I gave Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, a Darth Maul, which probably is cool equivalent to a four out of five stars. Uh, A bonus on this DVD is a sneak peek at the next uh, straight-to-DVD movie based on the all-star Superman comic, a a story where Superman is dying uh, from too much uh, exposure to the sun. Um, And another is a trailer for the sequel to uh, The Lost Boys, a vampire thriller from back in the late 80s. Uh, Corey Feldman, who starred in that one, is also going to star in this one.
1: Well, very good. Well, I did not see it yet, so I'll have to – Give you my thoughts on when I actually get to watch it, which probably won't be anytime too soon. Mm -hmm. Probably Christmas or Thanksgiving break till I actually get to it. Yeah. So, but thanks again for the review. My pleasure. This other piece of news, I'm just going to briefly run through. Um, This comes from Trek Jen, um, who follow on Twitter, and she tweeted out that CERN scientists eye parallel universe breakthrough. Uh, the physicists are probing the origins of the cosmos, hoping that next year they will turn up the first proof of the existence of the concepts of dear long dear to science fiction writers such as Hidden Worlds and Extra Dimensions. Obviously plays into Fringe a little bit. I will post a full article, full article in our show notes. I'm not going to read it now because mm-hmm. of time, and we're going to be way over it as it is. One other note in other news. Leviathan Chronicles tweeted out this week that they were heading – that um, Christoph was heading into the studio to listen and edit – the dramatist one of the first special edition episodes dropping in just a few weeks so that gives it a little hint that in a few weeks we're gonna have that first special edition episode and we've been waiting for this for a long time
0: yeah uh, i can't wait i need some, i need me some more renal leviathan i chronicles. need me some more leviathan chronicles
1: mm-hmm. but well miles why don't you take us into the twist
0: Thank our friend Chris from SoSpace so- Community for originally posting this. Um, North Texans sent Cap- Star Trek's Captain Kirk into the stratosphere uh, on October 17th, uh, 2010. The brothers uh, Graham released a small weather balloon from the outskirts of Stevensville, Texas, It carried a lightweight one-pound, 15-ounce uh, foam capsule. Designs take photographs from approximately 20 miles above the surface of the Earth. The capsule carried a camera, a GPS locator, uh, souvenirs to celebrate the importance of libraries in our communities and souvenirs to celebrate the actors attending the Star Trek Fan Day convention at the Plano Center in, in Plano, Texas, in the weekend of October 3rd, 23rd through 24th. The capsule rose approximately 20 miles through the stratosphere over Grandbury and recovered approximately three hours later in a field in, in, uh, in Crawley. The project was a spectacular success and produced hundreds of striking photos. The spaceborne souvenirs included two action figures one of William Shatner, one of Christopher Lloyd, uh, one miniature model of the Enterprise, three la- library cards uh, Fort Worth Southwest Regional Library, uh, Fort Worth Sandwalls Public Library, and the uh, Mansfield Public Library.
1: So that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, Star Trek continues to uh, inspire, uh, you know. Um, some men to pursue some real science. Yeah, absolutely. And we we, we talked about this uh, before. a um, little more information about the Haynes Enterprise uh, Manual. Uh, co-author uh, Ben Robinson was uh, interviewed on star trek.com and I'm just going to read just a uh, just a brief uh, excerpt from that um, So, uh, the long-awaited uh, US Enterprise Owner Workshop Manual is, is is about here. We've been teasing it for a while first with news that, about its upcoming product, publication, and then with a, a conversation with Derek Smith, editor of the book division of Haynes Publishing. And now Star StarTrek.com presents an interview with the book's co-author, Brian, uh, Ben Robinson, a Brit who uh, may have already be familiar to Star Trek fans, thanks to his involvement with the Star Trek Fact Files. Um, so quite, this is one of the questions that was posed to him. Uh, and this is something I'm kind of interested about. Why isn't the Enterprise from J.J. Abrams movie... Uh, uh, included, and his response is, "Well, that's because at the moment the real pleasure of that ship is that we don't know anything about it. Uh, I want to go into the movies full of excitement because I'm going to find things out. Uh, there will come a time for a manual that covers that Enterprise, but for now, it's just best just to, to, for it to stay a mystery. That's yeah, kind of a cop out. It is, but uh, a <laughs> um, pretty I mean, good answer. But it's a yeah, good answer. Uh, the book does it's it, it, it's um." on the original TV series, Enterprise.
1: Well, very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thanks, Miles, for bringing us a twist. Before we head into our interview, we mm-hmm. want to play our last promo. And our last promo is for John Miro's book. It's for his book, The Enemy Lies. If you haven't get a chance to check out that podcast, make sure you check it out. Here's the promo.
2: The stars have secrets. Some say these secrets have fallen from the skies. The government says it's not true. But in the 40s, they created an organization to track down flyers, to learn their technology and bring one back. The threat of peace leads Black Ridge Defense to investigate rumors of a secret organization named Division 10. Typhon, system-wide, has pushed ahead of its rivals to be the first in orbit and the first to mine the asteroid belt. But when they learn of Blackridge's investigation, they form an alliance to take control of Division 10, and they're going to take down a president to do it. As their plans come to a head, something emerges from a burning building in New York City, something that could threaten Typhon and Blackridge victory. Their soldiers are on the way, and so are the black helicopters of Division 10. But there's another player in this game, and far higher stakes than control of a government or new technology. The Flyers are back. Enemy Lines, a novel written and performed by John Miro. For more information, visit EnemyLinesNovel.com.
1: Welcome back, Miles. We had an excellent time chatting with John, didn't we?
0: Very much so. Uh, John, John's a great guy.
1: Yeah, and so what we're going to do is bring you our little interview that we have with him, where he just chats about all sorts of stuff, audiobook recording. Uh, obviously, the the audiobook Enemy Lines, which you and I have been enjoying, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, and just had a real good chat, just talking with him, right?
0: And, and folks, just here's just another great free. Um book out there uh, there's a lot lot there's people out there making some good stuff out there and and, and it's for, for it's free to you so take please take advantage of that yeah
1: yeah and uh and this is just he's just an excellent guy all around mm-hmm. so hope you enjoy our interview here's our interview with John' Miro. Well, welcome, guys, back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Miles, we have a very special guest with we us. We do. Um, we brought you uh, authors from various patio books like Heaven Field and Leviathan Chronicles. And tonight we bring you another author who has written the podio book series in a series called Enemy Lines and also Serving Worlds. Uh, Serving Worlds was a collection of short stories that he wrote. With us is John Miro. Am I pronouncing that right?
2: That's right. Hi, guys.
1: Yeah, welcome to the show.
2: Great to be here.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you are calling uh, Canada, is it right?
2: I am calling from a very chilly part of this world. Yes, I am. <laughs> you are. For the first time, the radio was actually talking about wind chill factors this week.
1: Wow. Yeah, what's, it's just. the negative
2: cold. numbers. Wow.
1: It turned cold <laughs> here, but not near that cold.
0: No, just below freezing. But just it's, below, it's, yeah.
1: So uh, you, you have a speed, definitely. Where at in Canada are you from?
2: Uh, I I am very privileged to live on the shore of Lake Ontario, just to the south of Toronto, between Toronto and Niagara Falls, thereabouts.
1: Oh, very good. Very good. Well, welcome to the diners. It's, it's warm in here tonight.
2: <laughs> ah, yes, great. it is. I'm going to pull up a chair and listen into the good conversations.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have my coffee, and I'm set to go. I'm ready to go here. So, uh, you know, you... You're, you're podcasting your, your, your audio work out there. Is there a reason that you, you, know, you chose podcasting as a form to kind of deliver this medium of storytelling that you're into?
2: Sure. Um, I'm uh, very fond of audio fiction. I've been listening to it since I was a wee lad, and someone scared me with The Shadow, and I fell in love with The Medium. And then promptly, like the rest of the world, forgot about it when Record Player and all mom and dad's collections of The Shadow went away. Right. Um, And then I grew up, and I decided to get into writing. I published a few things in traditional, what did we call it, Dead Tree (laughs) Media. (laughs) Yeah, Dead Tree Media. Um, (laughs) But then I had to move on to having a family. I'm very grateful to have uh, three beautiful children, and when I turned around and decided I wanted to get back into it, I wondered how to do the best splash I could to get started. Um, I had some friends that were doing NaNoWriMo, and I'll be participating for the second time this year. My second podcast, Enemy Lines, is partially a result of the first NaNoWriMo I did last year, um, and... I was also listening to the podcasts that were going on a lot of overlap in the internet communities between podcasters and writers. And I really fell in love with a lot of the work and I wanted to do it. it it's just a natural fit for me. I love it. I'm a bit of a techie and I like getting my voice out there.
1: Yeah. I love the shadow. Lamar Cranston.
2: <laughs>
1: the shadow knows. Yeah. Oh, what, what's some, what's some great, that, that goes back into like the classic audio drama that you're talking about.
2: Oh, uh, Orson Welles at the Mercury Theater in yeah. the 30s and the 40s. Yeah. He started it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very he did, cool. And, he did
0: War of the Worlds also.
2: Yeah. Appropriate. Oh, another spooky one. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, appropriate for this Halloween, just coming out of Halloween. It's appropriate for that. You mentioned that Nano Write. Nano Writing is that right? Nano
2: Mano-ri-mo. Yeah. Wh- National what did, Novel Writers Month.
1: Oh, there you go. See, I didn't even know that. I learned something new.
2: Uh, well, let's let's see here. It's. N A N O W R I M O dot org, I believe. nano dot org. And uh, if that's not correct, it'll be dot com. NaNo, National Novel Writers, Writers Month has been going on for a lot of months now, a lot of years now. And uh, I've been a fan of some people that have been willing to take the risk. The idea is to write 50,000 words in a month, wow. only do it one month out of 12 because your wife or significant other would kill you if you took longer. Right, right. Um, <laughs> But it's a phenomenal kick in the pants, and it gets a lot of people out working with you, hmm. and that's pretty exciting stuff.
1: And so you get and, you get yeah. feedback. You get feedback from what you're writing and everything.
2: Well, it's more about uh, the trash talk and oh, Have you written? How far ahead are you? I'm kicking your ass. <laughs> <The> next thing <laughs> you know. That's the you know the joyous male version of bonding that we like to call trash talk. <laughs> right, uh, right, That right. gets you writing more and more, and it's re- it was really tremendous experience being involved with it last year because of the people I knew that were also participating.
1: Well, very very cool. Tell me, um, how did you get into science fiction? Or like, who was the influence of drawing you into science fiction?
2: I can't tell you. My father was a straight-laced, is a straight-laced military presence in my life. My mother was a very laid-back magazine reader. uh, But somehow I would always disappear before breakfast was finished on Sunday mornings to watch the old repeats of the 1967 classic Star Trek. Um, And I was lost to the cause. I can't remember remember anybody. I think I had one uncle that fed me books when I was a little older. But before that, I guess I just gravitated to it. Star Wars and Star Trek, and I was off to the races. Wow, and uh and I no. haven't looked back since <laughs> yeah yeah,
1: no turning back, no turning back.
2: It's the fantastic. It's the element of something that's not part of your world that draws me in, and I can't write anything that doesn't have some fantastic element either, apparently, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely even though even though you know this is a kind of a good segue here, you know your 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 current novel enemy Lines is set kind of in a real in in the real world.
2: Yeah, very close to the real world. It's just a few years from now. About uh, 20 years in the future, 30 years in the future is the time frame of most of the story. It takes place about 50 to 60% in the streets of New York City and some interesting transplants that end up there.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and a little bit off world, a little bit off world there. You know, when I started well, There's with, more to come. Yeah, I know, I know. And uh, I don't know if you got my email, but I love the, la- the latest uh, drop. What was it Chapter 15, is that right, that fell? The I'm
2: up to 17, and tonight I'll be recording 18 after our talk.
1: Oh, very good, very good. Well, we will try not to hold you too long from that. But, I, <laughs> but I'm, uh, been, I've been loving uh, just hearing the different the different episodes drop and where you've kind of taken the story. And you know, when I first started hear, listening to this podcast, the the Enemy Lines, I, I began to feel a little bit of a, a Tom Clancy influence coming through. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse when I talk about that way, but I felt like this was kind of Tom Clancy meets the X-Files. And I kind of wrote in my show notes, Tom Clancy and the X-Files walk into a bar and then all hell breaks loose.
2: But, Damn, I'll take that. And <laughs> every author in the world is looking for a good elevator pitch, and that's good enough for me.
1: <laughs> well, it did, it did. I felt like um, I think maybe what made it feel that way was just, I don't know if it was your delivery uh, the the pacing of it, the way it was reading, but I think like that first chapter opens up kind of on a military compound where they're kind of dissecting a gray, right? Um, yeah, and and it felt a little bit like I was in a in a Clancy novel. I I listened. I actually haven't read a lot of Clancy. I listened to a lot of Clancy when I was traveling an hour to university, uh, university near nearby, so I devoured these Clancy books. Like, um, right? I, I forget. I forget. I forget all the names of them anymore. It's been a long time since I've read them. But but. It, it just felt very Clancy-like to me in the feel and the pacing of, of his st- styling of his books. And then, then you then you throw the grays in there. Suddenly, it has a little bit of an X-File <laughs> flair coming into it. I don't know if you were fans well, of any of those, like either Clancy or the X-Files, but I just felt that it was part of that. But.
2: Oh, I'm definitely a fan of both. Thank, thank you very much for saying such things we're reminded of. Uh, I really enjoy both. I really wanted to set the pacing, uh, what was organic, for the characters I was talking about. And one of the major characters in this novel that the audience has nothing about, but maybe a promo can be sneaked in there somewhere, uh, except to know that there's somebody that's working in a spook job for the government chasing something that's not of this world. Right. Um, and the real bad guys, of course, one of them are the humans. There's a corporation in there, need I say more? And there's a little bit of a interplay between the government and the corporations, and they're trying to control some unquantified technology that seems to have <coughs> dropped down from the skies. And we find out more as we go along. And then something happens, as you alluded to earlier, off-world that really steps up the action and the pace.
1: Right. And that's kind of what we're in the throes of. If you catch up with the current, where you're at currently, that's kind of you know they're dealing with the ramifications of what has happened
2: off world. Yeah, uh, and I'm really enjoying setting something on real world for change.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, um, it was, it's been some really good stuff. Anything you 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 can give our audience who may not be familiar with your work uh, a little bit of a premise for some of the characters and uh, or uh, can you set the story up maybe a little bit for us? We've kind of alluded a little bit here, but anything you can tell absolutely. us, absolutely, wet the wrap tight a little bit.
2: What we're talking about in Enemy Lines is a world that's just a few decades away that looks very much like today. We have electric cars, but we still have more gas cars. Uh, we have corporations. We have wars for oil. We have a uh, kind of a frayed world, and we have a nebulous government organization who's trying to track down one of the better-kept secrets, which is that there are little planes dropping out of the sky, or at least they were, and they've recently stopped. They're trying to track down and recover these little lost objects from somewhere else, Uh, but they've got some competition. There's a corporation out there that's named Typhon Systemwide, or Typhon Industries to start, and they would like very much to control tech as well, simply to control profit and the bottom line in the industries that they are masters of. These people, Del Cooley, who's the director of a a Homeland Security division that's buried under a lot of paperwork and not well known, is trying to find out why some of his men have come to an ill end. And he chases down some corporate mercenaries, and he realizes that there's an enemy closer to home than the one that he's chasing. At the same time, something's happening off-world that involves a little bit of action and a little bit of uh, almost a war footing. There's some surprise attacks, some kind of Pearl Harbor event that takes place that draws some people from off world, on world, and they have to they have to keep their world from spinning out of control without it becoming public knowledge because it would be very bad for us all if the truth came out.
0: Are you doing all this on your own, or you have any help? I mean, um, I mean, uh, there, there, there's music in the background. Um, there's, um, you know. A lot going on. Are you, are, is this a solo effort on your part, or are you having any help?
2: It, thanks, Miles. It is a solo effort, but I'm glad you mentioned the music. I really want to... Uh, f- fixed Online, F-I-X-T Online, is the, is the label that uh, represents the people that do the uh, theme, the opening and closing music for Enemy Lines, uh, a group called Damage Vault, and the song is called Damaged, and it's... Uh, A lot of Fixed Online's work is available in the public domain for -for not-for-profit podcasts such as mine. Um, I engineered the podcast, uh, opening and closing, and I just uh, recycle that material at the beginning and the end of every episode. There is only actually one sound cue other than that, which is the scene change music. A little hunting, a little piece in between to let people know that we're moving from place to place. Um, I had all that in place before I launched the podcast, and I actually had to wait a couple of months until I had a second round of editing done in order to make sure that I wouldn't get too far ahead. But I am the, the, the person behind the street, behind the scenes that does it all. Hmm, right. And it takes some time, but hmm. it's worth it.
1: How long does it take you to now? Let me, I guess maybe the, uh, two questions here. Um, how far, uh, how far ahead are you with your podcast? I mean, do you have all the episodes written and we're just uh, getting them about every two to three weeks? Uh, how's that, how's that all work?
2: It's a weekly release. I aim for Tuesdays. Occasionally I creep into Wednesday nights and I hear from people when I do, and I'm sorry, it's probably going to happen again this week. But within 24 hours of Tuesday every week, I haven't missed an episode in the 18 weeks that I've been on. We're not quite halfway through and the entire story is written and in the can, but the podcast production lags a week or two behind given Halloween. And last week was my son's birthday. I'm actually just finishing this week's episode tonight. That's going to go out.
1: Right. And so, um, That puts pressure on you as a writer to keep moving on.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Part of the the thrill for me with podcasting is that it gives me a deadline that I have to hit. And a lot of people will sometimes write for a deadline because it gives them the pressure or the impetus to get it done. No matter how much they love writing, if you just keep piddling with it, it never goes anywhere. So that's one thing that podcasting has given me that I'm very grateful for. The other thing is feedback. Um, I've had... Some very dedicated listeners that have contacted me, left comments on my forums. Not thousands, but I've had a few dozen emails or comments every month since I've started. And a few people that have followed me over from my last podcast. And it's tremendous to know that people feel, you know, they're on the edge of their seats for something I've written. And that just... Makes me uh, dedicated to making sure that I continue to give them what they're kind enough to keep me in their playlists to get.
1: For for me at least, as a podcaster, it's not for me the the quantity of feedback. It's the, the fact that I'm getting you know people that consistently care about what I'm doing. And you know if I don't if I don't have a thousand people downloading, great. But if I have uh, if I have people that care and are contributing, that's almost more important for me.
2: Absolutely, it's yeah. a, it's great to have people. Reach out and say something to you about something right. you've done. Anything they're going to do. If they say you suck, then they've been motivated to take the time to find your email address and write you suck. <laughs> if, if they say this is pretty good, but you might want to look at this and this, then you know you've got somebody that's really invested and is trying to help. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you get a really happy gushing email, and well, you know, then you float for a day or two, and then you write harder.
1: Yeah, you write, you write harder, then someone brings you back to earth. But- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of reality checks, that's it. No, that's awesome. Now, do you, now when you release them, are they released on your site first and then iTunes? How does that work?
2: I'm using a service called Libsyn okay. at Libsyn.com, and they've been very reliable. Uh, I started using, after the advice of some fellow podcasters, podio book authors, um, They have no bandwidth caps. They just have a monthly download that you pay for a tiered rate of how many hundreds of megabytes you want to upload, and then people can download it as much as they want. When it's uploaded there, um, there is some code that I can copy and paste into my WordPress site. I just have a simple WordPress.com site, and also there's a simple button once you subscribe in iTunes with your podcast that you can just click an email address, and it'll notify iTunes to check a look at your feed. Something's been updated, and they're pretty good about getting things updated. So it's it's two or three clicks, really, once it's uploaded That's to make bad. sure everybody's aware.
1: Now, I do have a question about one piece of tech that you mentioned in Enemy Line. Do you care if I ask Please. you a little bit about the mirrors?
2: Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, and
1: this is kind of when I look at the the what the Maglev system and the um, uh, and then the the mirrors. The mirrors really is kind of the unique tech that really sets it. To, <laughs> Excuse so, me. Kind of, I'll repeat it.
2: If Miles, anyway. if you don't like my tech, you don't have to sneeze. <laughs> you can just leave the room. We'll it's, finish it's, the interview. It's,
1: it's, tr- it's true. No, <laughs> no. But the, explain the, explain the, the mirrors to us a little bit and maybe uh, kind of intrigue our listeners a little bit about the mirrors because this is kind of unique.
2: Thank you. Uh, this is, this is a 100% imaginary human invention uh, that uh, people have come up with in uh, a place not too far away from Earth in the near future of my novel. Um, It's a technology that is like many wormhole travel technologies people have seen in the past in TV and movies and books. Um, The idea is that uh, a frame is used to contain a lot of energy and is the focal point for a wormhole. And you can move that wormhole around with you. And the wormhole, of course, can be 20 feet or 20,000 miles apart inside. I call them stepping glasses, uh, basically, when you step through, you're through. It's it's, it's it's The idea is that you can find an easy way to get back to Earth without being caught, was the first reason. The people in my story need to not be known by the world at large. That would cause a lot of havoc with our fine blue little planet. So they came up with the glasses as a way to no longer have crash, uh, crash-landed spacecraft that this uh, nebulous government organization in my in my story is competing with the corporation to retrieve either to hide from the public or to profit from it in the case of the corporation but with the stepping glasses they can stay undercover and travel instantaneously anywhere they want to go it comes at the cost of a lot of energy and there's a a mention of a a very large hole that has been made by the last time somebody tried to make a glass and there was a slight mistake but it's become um if not every day, something that they're very competent at making. And there are dozens of glasses now around the earth and around the solar system.
1: Oh, very, very cool. Thank you for uh, explaining that a little bit to us.
0: Yeah. I was wondering how, uh, I guess early in your series, uh, there's um, that one physicist uh, who is being brought on board. I remember him, you know, going in the mag lift. And then shortly thereafter he is uh, in orbit and, uh, um, wasn't quite sure how, you know, how he, 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 got, he, he got there so fast.
2: That's the hard part. You don't want to give everything away at the beginning. You want to make it organic so you make little hints and you hope that it doesn't annoy people. When you, You've got to have that one MacGuffin in every story and in my story it's that maybe there's aliens, maybe there's not, but there's definitely something that doesn't exist in our world, which is a wormhole that she can take you to other places. Yeah. And then you just try to you try to thread in some cues like, "Oh, I feel lighter. I'm I'm off balance. I can't. My ears are ringing. I can't catch my balance. What the gravity's not right. Now nah, I can't be right. I've just got to be stoned because <laughs> your first reaction isn't going to be you're on another planet. It's going to be obviously the meds haven't worn off yet. Right.
1: Right, right, right. And they did kind of uh, medicate him a little bit beforehand, so it makes sense. You played that in pretty well. How how many chapters are you looking at? How many chapters do we have to look forward to in Enemy
2: Lines here? I had this question recently, and the chapters don't add up to the um, podcast novel episodes because I had to rejig a couple uh, to have about the right length. Okay. I'm guessing there's going to be between 45 and 50 episodes total.
1: Ooh, good. So we have a lot more to look
2: forward hmm. to. This is about a year-long work, and I hope to uh, keep people entertained the whole way. Very good. Well,
1: I'm looking forward to being entertained the whole way. I've been entertained so far.
2: So, well, I'm yeah. glad you guys are listening in. I hope you're, you're both with me at the end. You can <laughs> you can join me for a feedback episode. Oh, then. Well,
1: well, I, hey, we'd love to do that. We'd love to do that.
0: I'm about halfway in, but I am
2: catching up. Oh, good. Yeah. I hope you stay with me. I hope you keep you hooked.
1: Do you have plans beyond enemy lines? Or at this point, this point is enemy lines? Let's get through enemy lines, and then we'll talk about next.
2: Where are you going to? I'm already writing what comes next. I'm writing two separate works, uh, different worlds, different stories, different characters. Um, I'm not sure which one will come next. If I'm brave enough to follow up. a science fiction novel with fantasy, we'll see. But likely, I have another uh, farther future science fiction piece as well. But there will definitely be more works. Um, right. I've put out my first ebook, which is a uh, short story from the Serving Worlds collection that was well re- well received, called Last Man Home. Uh, that's available on my website and through Smashwords, through iBooks, but not yet through Kindle because I'm a darn Canadian and I'm having trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. what i 'm looking to do is 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 very slowly build my name to the point where I can uh hopefully approach uh, the dead tree media as well as do some work on my own as some other podcast authors and ebook authors have done miles are you in the same geography or are you on skype with me
1: he's he 's in the same room yeah right I'm in the same room, yeah that oh that 's cool yeah it doesn't, that doesn 't always happen but mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you listen to enough of our shows you 'll realize there a time where we 're interviewing guests and miles just disappears. I think Sky the first Hill. one
2: I ever heard was with um, Ian Hume.
1: Oh, Ian Hume. Ian That's Hume um, from the, from the heaven heavens. Hume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Miles probably ditched. He we were interviewing. <laughs> we were interviewing guy uh, Chase Masterson, and he ditched in that one too. N-
0: not my first Miles? choice. Not, no, no, no. You, you, <laughs> Miles is like, heck with Chase. I'm out of here. Just click. N- not even <laughs> close, pal. <laughs> uh, I felt so bad. I couldn't say goodbye to her. Right. Right. <laughs> um, no at no, th- that time, um, I-, I was in this uh, town called Altoon, which is three hours away from where we live. It's so. like coal mining town, and mm-hmm. there's
1: like nothing up there.
0: Mm-hmm. And on uh, um, on Wi Fi, so it made uh, Skype hell even worse. No, oh, dear. Yeah.
1: Well, that happens. Well, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us tonight and chatting about. Uh, I was going to say Fields, We just got done talking about it. But uh, the Enemy Lines, Heavenfield is a good podcast too, but we're talking about Enemy Lines tonight, which is a phenomenal uh, patio book that you're sharing with me, and we're thankful for that. Where can people who are listening find out more about Enemy Lines?
2: If anybody would like to know more about my little book, there's a website dedicated to it, enemylinesnovel.com where there will be links to uh, subscribing in iTunes, a book trailer that I stitched together featuring the music of Damage Vault, who provides the music for my podcast opening and closing, uh, and links to my website where they can download all the episodes if they prefer to go that way as well.
1: And uh, I guess links to your prior podcast as well.
2: Serving yeah, Worlds you can, you can find lists, links to Serving Worlds off of both my iTunes page for John Miro audiobooks and on my website,
1: Right. I'm, going to, to John
2: check dot com, I'm going to have to check that out because I haven't, I haven't listened to that one yet.
1: Now, you said um, Damage Vaults. was it Fix It? Was the name of their
2: producing uh, group? It's fixed Online, F-I-X-T. Fixed. They also uh, represent... Um, Blue Dolly and uh, I want to say Seldweller, who provided a lot of music for uh, a former podcaster and still great uh, creator, uh, J.C. Hutchins.
0: Okay. Oh yeah, I've, I'm familiar with his work. Um, the Seven Son, Seven yeah. Son series. Yeah, that was...
2: Seventh Son, very good series of books. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and they're one of the other smaller uh, labels. They're a record label in their own right. That is waking up to providing music for free to people that are doing non-profit work
1: right so as long as you don't charge you can use
2: was, there's now, a lot of ways to find the music if you want to do it yourself
1: oh yeah definitely and, and you did mention uh, you, what is the name of your one work that is available on iBooks
2: oh I have a short story uh, iBooks smashwords as well it's called Last Man Home It's a little story about uh, some war veterans that like to get together uh, in a small town in Quebec, Ontario, Canada, um, because one of their members doesn't like to leave home ever since the globe-spanning war that fought against aliens. Um, But one year, one of the members doesn't show up on time, and in his place, uh, one of the aliens that he fought in war shows up and introduces himself as his old lieutenant from the war he was in.
1: Oh, very good. Very good. Exciting. Well, thank you so much for again joining us and giving us information and we'll be sure to point
2: listeners that way. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to more Sci-Fi Diner.
0: Take care, John.
1: We had an excellent interview with John, didn't we? We did, and the best part is he's still here. We can't get rid of this guy.
2: <laughs> hey, I want a seat
1: at the table. <laughs> yeah, I want to eat at the diner. No, we are. Uh, we actually have him here to bring us his uh, sci-fi five and five, and we love when we have guests in here to do that. And uh, and he and John, you came up with some uh, one that hasn't been done yet.
0: No, this is definitely a new one for us. Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, why don't you explain a little bit about what your Sci-Fi 5 and 5 is about,
0: and then you can kind of
1: leap into it.
2: Sure. Well, uh, I picked for my Sci-Fi 5 and 5, five classic and more recent anti-heroes from science fiction, fantasy, and genre fiction, from books, from movies, from comic books specifically, TV shows. I wanted to mix it up. And it's all about five really bad guys that come down on the right side when it counts, and that's when the audience is tuning in or reading the pages.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Well, go ahead and take it away, and you can start at one, work to five, or reverse it however you want.
2: Well, uh, at the top of the list, the first name on the list that I thought of for today's audience, Josh Josh Whedon fans will appreciate Jane, the mercenary, who swears all he wants is money and almost follows through on that several times, nearly resulting in the capture and demise of his fellow crewmates on the Firefly. He's a man of few words and big guns and thin morals, but we love him anyway. Oh, yeah, we do.
1: And he does bring it when it counts.
2: Oh, yeah. Second, I'm going old school and back in time. Classic science fiction. People are going to have to go back to the lands of organ music and cardboard cutout aliens, but I loved a TV show from the British Broadcasting Company called Blake's Seven. This was about... And erstwhile, in uh, the man in the wrong place at the wrong time, he becomes the rebel leader against a future tyrannical Federation, the opposite of Star Trek's Federation. And along the way, he uh, accrues some crew members, and one of which is named Avon. Avon is a brilliant, self-serving information thief who will betray anyone to survive and prosper until he meets Blake. He's a, a budding resistance leader, this Blake, and he somehow manages to get Avon to stick around. As, as he whinges and moans that he's going to get everybody killed, he follows Blake's orders and helps him fight this Federation.
0: I, I, I didn't watch Avon. Did you? I, I've never seen Blake 7. I've heard about it a few years ago. It wasn't um, – I don't know if it's available on DVD too yet. but uh, You've
2: really got to stretch your imagination because the effects are Doctor Who – first Doctor Who awful. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> but some of the ideas are great. They spent a lot of time running through old oil refineries and pretending it's alien space stations. But uh, it was written by Terry Nation, who created the Daleks for Doctor Who, and it's got a real good soul to it. Third on the list, I'm moving to the world of comics. Warren Ellis's Hunter S. Thompson-like gonzo journalist of the future, Spider Jerusalem. His moral is simple. He will deliver the truth. As a journalist or a defender in the middle of some horrible situation or an avenger of somebody that was wronged long ago and nobody ever helped, he's as likely to hammer a guilty man's head in with the truth as Champion the downtrodden, so long as they're not idiots. He really doesn't like idiots. The words he uses are more dangerous than a sniper's rifle, which is what he wanted to be when he grew up. Now he kills people with the truth. Fourth on the list, I have another comic character, V. In V for Vendetta. It was originally a comic strip by Alan Moore of Swamp Thing fame, and uh, later an action flick starring Hugo Weaving, the Matrix Agent Smith. And he's, um, V is a post-apocalyptic anarchist, and he's challenging the chokehold of this fascist British government of the future, where they've combined the ultimate belief in faith in one religion and service to the government, so long as you don't get in the way, or they'll just gas you and send you to a concentration camp or kill your whole family. And this irks V, and he's a truly horrific character who will kill people in gruesome ways, but accompanied by a line or two of poetry and a little bit of style.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Definitely. And classic music, yes, yes, classic music. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. I loved V, you know, and V, v uh, you know, V ended up being almost his modern version of 1984, a little bit.
2: Yeah, same and, kind of vibe. Same,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. same kind of vibe coming off of that. But great, that's a great one to be have on there.
2: Thanks. Last one's back to movies. Snake Plissken. Snake. Escape from New York. John Carpenter. Ex Special Forces Commando. War hero turned criminal. Everybody thought he died in Cleveland, I think it was. But no, he made it to New York and a sequel, Escape from L.A. And this guy is a badass. If yeah. you know, if the puppy's being killed, if a little girl's in trouble, if somebody's crying a tear, he'll help. But by the end of the movie, he'll turn out everybody's lights. He literally turns out everybody's lights. Yeah.
1: I remember that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Awesome. And, and there's rumors. I heard rumors there's a remake in the works.
2: Yeah! Uh, no, we cannot have a remake. <laughs> I heard Josh Brolin and Gerard Butler.
1: <laughs> no, no. there's <laughs> uh, No, I, I, this is one of these... You know, Escape from New York was not necessarily the best movie in the world when it came out. But, but Kurt it, Russell... It is a classic. It is a, classic. It is a classic cult film. You just can't touch it. You just shouldn't no. touch it. But and Kurt Russell, I mean, there's no way you can... I mean, that's one of his defining roles. Oh, yeah. So.
2: He's one of the great characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing with us your Sci-Fi 5 and 5. Well, we hope you enjoyed our interview with uh, John Nerone and Sci-Fi 5 and 5. we got to wrap up this show here. Mm-hmm. I believe that's about it for tonight, and and we'll go from
0: there. Right. Okay. Well, uh, listeners, until then, good night and good luck. We'll see ya.
1: The Sci Fi Diner Podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci Fi Diner Podcast, please visit scifi dinerpodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci Fi Diner. You can also find the Sci Fi
0: Diner where else, Miles? We have a Facebook fan page and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page and let's talk some sci fi.
1: you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's uh, Herzog, H E R T Z O G.
0: And I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter. And I also am um, on uh, TrekSpace, uh, Son of Worf at TrekSpace.
1: And Lee, and we want to hear from you. So please email us at the Sci Fi Diner at gmail.com or call our listener line at 1 508 4343. And let us know your thoughts on what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you.